Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us this morning and uh, we're ready to study the Bible. Hope that you are too and that's probably why you tuned in because you're interested in the Bible and want to know more about it. Uh, maybe you're just passing by and caught this program for the first time and wonder what it's about. Well, we answer viewers' questions. Uh, we think that's the best way for folks to, to get to know their Bible is to ask what they wonder about. So if you've always had a question about the Bible or something you've heard's in the Bible and you wonder if that's really true, uh, anything you've ever had on your mind about the Bible or maybe things in life that you wonder what the Bible would have to say about it, We'll be happy to try to find you an answer. So that's what we do. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime. Get in touch with us, and you direct the program. And I'm Steve Tandy, and my partner Toby Levering is here. Good morning, Toby. Hey there, Steve. We will try to answer as many of your questions as we can today, but we always got have one for our viewers first. So here's your question, a little relationship question. Lot was an Old Testament character. Uh, who was his uncle? See if you know that story, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Uh, speaking of knowing those stories, viewer wants to know if all of these are really true. Yes, that is the question. <laughs> are stories in the Bible really true? Uh, well, in my uh, estimation, they really are. Um, in fact, we probably wouldn't be doing this program if we didn't believe that. Uh, and there are some uh, really, truly uh, amazing stories in there. <clears throat> As you read through them, there's stories of miracles and uh, God uh, raising people from the dead and rescuing people and shutting the mouths of lions and uh, the Red Sea parting and the sun standing still and uh, the uh, story of uh, Noah and the worldwide flood. And uh, there are just some amazing stories as you read them and imagine them. Some of them all sound almost too good to be true. Uh, and as you read them, uh, there's lots of people who read the Bible and say, well, eh, it's just a book of, of silly fairy tale stories. It's no, no more or less than uh, uh, the fairy tales that you would read to your children. Uh, some good moral instruction, but nothing we should take too seriously. Well, uh, <clears throat> in my estimation, we need to think more seriously about the Word of God. Uh, of course, um, the Bible as a book in of itself is the most popular, best-selling book of all time. In fact, uh, I heard... Uh, Second hand, so I can't verify it to be true, but uh, someone told me that they uh, went to Walmart and the uh, uh, recent uh, coronavirus uh, shut down and, uh, and they were going there for some groceries and went, walked past, past the book section and uh, there were all the books available, but the, the section that was empty uh, was the section of Bibles. There is something about the stories in the Bible that resonate with something deeper. 
there are lots of books that have been written, lots of people have written them, but n nothing that human beings write stands as the Bible stands. And uh, you need to know that when you open your Bible and read it, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, whether you're uh, a regular Bible correspondence student uh, or studying online, that you're studying a book that has been tested again and again. The uh, Bible's got a lot of skeptics, and there have been a lot of people who tried to discredit the words of the Bible. Uh, it's been tested historically. Uh, they've lined up the, the history of the Bible. The Bible's not a book of history, but it recaptures historical events, and they've gone outside the Bible to see if those kings were really there and those nations and these battles and all of that. And all of that's shown to be true. The Bible's been tested scientifically. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, uh, science is simply it means knowledge. It's human knowledge, and human knowledge is always evolving and changing. Uh, there was a time when you were sick, uh, they thought the best way to treat that was to let the blood out of your body. Well, the Bible says that the life of the creature is in the blood. And that was written long before uh, human beings came to understand how important it is to have not only uh, not to drain blood, but to, if you're missing it, to give you transfusions. So uh, the Bible is not a book of science, but in the areas of science where it mentions, it's been shown to be true. Uh, people thought the earth was flat. Uh, some people still think that. Uh, but the Bible, long before anyone uh, could look into the stars and uh, long before Galileo Galilei looked into the heavens and proposed uh, his, his ideas, uh, the Bible talked about the circle of the earth. So uh, it's been tested scientifically, archaeologically, uh, textually. Uh, the, the, the actual text of the, the Bible, you know, there was a lot of written works uh, and uh, works of Shakespeare and things like that. And you can trust that all of the text, that the scrolls and the, the translators and all of that, uh, all of that's been tested time and again time and again and shown to held firm to hold firm uh, to the truth so it really comes down to a decision of whether you're going to believe it or not that's what it comes down to you have to choose whether or not you believe the words uh, in the Bible uh, and the stories in it uh, we believe to be true because uh, we we believe God to be capable of doing the things uh, that are uh, miraculous and supernatural uh, let's look at a couple of scriptures. First, there will be one that won't be on your screen, but you can look it up at home. If you're following along in your Bible, go to 2 Timothy 3.16. And Paul, writing to the preacher Timothy there, says, All scripture is breathed out by God. And that's what makes it unique and different. He says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, again, it will not be on the screen, but uh, you can look it up, says the Word of God is a sword, and it pierces, it pierces through the clutter of our thoughts and our emotions, uh, and, it, and it just gives us God's straightforward truth. And so Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and then last one will be on the screen, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, says, knowing this, first of all, that and no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For the prophecy was never produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's to me where the big difference with the Bible is the inspiration of it. The Spirit guided the words of the prophets of old and those who wrote these things down and the teachings of the New Testament. So uh, we believe God's Word is true and we believe it's been tested in every way, but because it's from God, it makes it unique. So God bless you in your reading and your study of it. All right, viewer wants to know about the leaven of the Pharisees. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? And uh, we know where they've been reading in the Bible. There's a story in Matthew 16. Uh, and Jesus has just fed the 4,000. And then they get in the boat with his apostles. And on the way, the apostles remember that we forgot to bring any bread. We, we didn't bring the picnic basket for our travels. And out of nowhere, it seems, Jesus said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And the apostles got all excited about that. So let's read the verse, what our viewers respond, or referring to, Matthew 16, 5 and 6. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So if you read this on in the story... Uh, the apostles began to worry said, well, he knows we didn't bring the bread. So he's telling us something about don't buy it from the Pharisees and all that. And Jesus knew what they were talking about. He heard them. So he explained it to them. And then the last uh, verse 12 of that Matthew 16 gives us our answer. It says, uh, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that's what Jesus was referring to. What the Pharisees and Sadducees taught uh, was very legalistic, was very oppressive to the people. It was completely a religion of laws and rules, uh, no mercy, no compassion, no really considering God, uh, just following the rules. And they also, of course, taught that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. So what Jesus told them was, you beware of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Their teaching uh, gives people a lot of burdens that they can't bear. Their teaching is dangerous. Don't let their teaching creep in uh, wherever you are. So that was the warning. That's what the leaven of the Pharisees is. And it's true today, too. False teaching uh, of any kind uh, legalistic or liberalistic or whatever you want to call it is like leaven. A little bit of it gets in and it begins to mess up uh, true Christianity and the true teachings of Jesus. So beware false teaching. Beware the leaven of false teaching. Okay, the next question is a person who's wondering about the subject of how God works. Where does it say God will not interfere with events on earth? Well, uh, this is uh, it doesn't exactly say that um, we can we can look at some different verses. This really speaks to I think what your question is going after is the idea of how God works in the affairs of human beings. Uh, theologically, uh, it's the discussion of uh, do we have free will or are we all just marching along on God's plan and we can't change it and and uh, it's just all uh, prescripted, if you will. Well. Uh, there are some scriptures that, that kind of speak on both sides of that. Uh, let's look at some scriptures that won't be on your screen, but I'll refer you to them. Uh, a couple from the uh, book of Proverbs, which is the ancient book of wisdom. 
uh, Proverbs 16, uh, verse 9, says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Okay, so this idea that we have maybe a a thought of how we're going to go along in life, but God's going to direct our path or direct our steps. Well, do we get to choose that or are we, are we, uh, uh, capable of having, uh, making decisions on our own? How does God work in that? Verse 33 of the same chapter says that the lot is cast into the lap, but it is, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Okay. Well, so there's this idea of this sovereignty of God, that God is absolutely in charge and absolutely in control. And at the same time, he gives human beings free will. He gives us the ability to believe or not, to uh, follow him or not, to fear him or to uh, rebel from him. And we seem to have that ability as human beings and um, that is a, a wonderful gift, but how does it work with the sovereignty of God? How does God still uh, accomplish His will and at the same time allow us to have our will and have sovereignty at the same time? Um, the word that I have always used for that is the word providence, and it's never one. It's not one you'll find in the scriptures, but it simply explains uh, that it is God working His will behind the scenes of human affairs to accomplish his will without violating our free choice. And I've always kind of pictured that as, as uh, you know, God has his will, his purpose, and, and that's going to happen, okay? There's no thwarting that plan. Uh, God will not directly interfere. Uh, we can choose to disobey him. We can choose to not ha- believe him and not believe the words of the Bible and so forth, to live life on our own terms. But God will work uh, with us or in spite of us. And um, I know Steve's used this illustration and I have as well. Uh, Imagine playing a chess game. You're playing with the chess master and he's very good and he knows all the moves, ins and outs. And you can move whichever way you want, but his will is to win. And so no matter how you move, He's going to re, uh, to counter uh, with moves that eventually lead to his winning. Now, it's not us versus God, okay? But that's a simple illustration to kind of give us an idea that God's in control, and yet we still have a free choice. Let's look at one scripture, one more scripture from the book of Romans, chapter 8. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So uh, God does work in the events of uh, human beings, and at the same time, he lets us choose, uh, but he's still going to work, and his, he will, uh, his will will prevail. So I hope that uh, helps a little bit. All right, let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. And uh, if you're a long-time viewer, we, you know we take a minute or two to mention this each week because we believe in Bible study. Uh, we advocate home Bible study. And we want to help folks that haven't got started in Bible study. So here's some good ways. We've got some Bible study tools that we'll send you in the mail if you want. We've also got some online courses. This is one of the ones that come in the mail. There are eight lessons in this series. Good overview of the Bible explains a lot of the basics. Uh, Then we've got some other advanced courses, the more advanced, that will take you into the life of Jesus, the book of Acts, and other history of the Bible, all sorts of interesting things that help you know your Bible. We've also got an online course that you can get by going to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. 
tell them you'd like that course and they'll get you signed up and you can start studying the Bible on your phone or tablet today. Uh, the other courses, use the phone number or the website that's on the screen. Tell us you'd like a free course and we'll get it to you in the mail very quickly. We pay the postage. We cover all the costs. So absolutely free to you. just takes a little bit of time and interest in the Bible. So if you're interested in knowing your Bible, we think we can help you. Question about uh, John baptizing. How did John baptize so many people at one time? Well, let's find out why our viewers asked this question. It's probably because of one verse that talks about how many people he baptized. So let's look in Mark 15, um, or Mark 1, verse 5. That's it. Uh, it says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. All right, there it says, the whole countryside and everybody in Jerusalem. Uh, that certainly sounds impressive. That sounds like a whole lot of people. Well, a couple of points. First, uh, number one, we think of Jerusalem as millions of people. Uh, Jerusalem in that day, scholars say, probably had about 40,000 inhabitants. Uh, so that makes it a, kind of a small town and a little bit more understandable. Uh, second thing is, John the Baptizer worked in that region for about two years, best we can tell from history. So it wasn't like one weekend or <laughs> one one meeting. It was <coughs> over a period of two years. Uh, so break all of that down, and that starts to sound a little more believable. Of course, the key point is not everyone uh, was baptized by him. We've got stories that the Pharisees and Sadducees came out, and he, he wouldn't baptize them and didn't. So there were a lot of people that didn't accept his message, but in general it sounds like, uh, kind of like we'd say, everybody in town went to that show. Everybody in town went to see that. Uh, we had a parade downtown, and everybody in town was there. Well, not everybody, but it seemed like it. So that's what they're saying. Everybody came out to see John the Baptizer because he was an impressive, interesting character. And the ones that heard his message and believed it were baptized by him. Uh, last point probably is John didn't have to do all of the baptizing. In fact, I found a picture of the place where John was working. This is Anon near Salem uh, in present-day Israel. And it's a famous place to go be baptized. So you see they've got crowd control and lots of people baptizing lots of people. So uh, John could have had some assistance uh, even by himself. He could have baptized a lot of people. There were plenty of water there. Uh, so that gives us a little better feel for it. Over two years, not everybody, and it wasn't millions of people. So entirely possible, and he baptized a lot of people. <laughs> All right. Our next question is about the crucifixion of Jesus. Was Jesus killed on a cross or a torture stake? Well, in my view of it, he was, uh, and study of it, he has was uh, crucified on a, a Roman cross. And I know there are some that you know, sometimes you see that pictured. I always call it like the capital T or the lowercase T, right? It looked like this or it looked like this. Um, and uh, we don't actually know. 
there was a sign that was placed uh, on the cross with Jesus. Uh, John chapter 19 says, So they took Jesus, he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, uh, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him uh, with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So uh, there had to be some place on that cross uh, for that inscription. Uh, my view makes the most sense for it to be above, so that's kind of why I think it would be the, the lower case. Uh, but I suppose it could have been placed underneath Jesus. Uh, in, in any case, there was some sort of inscription, and of course the Jewish leaders had an objection with that, but uh, yeah, no, I, I believe that uh, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross, and of course, uh, not how uh, he was killed is mo of most importance. Uh, why he was killed and why he laid down his life uh, is the point of the scripture. Let's look at Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 42. Uh, he saved him, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. This is people mocking Jesus. And, of course, he could have saved himself, but he couldn't have done that and saved us too. And then Mark chapter 8, verse 34, uh, Jesus told us that we have to take up our cross, not in the physical way that he did, but in the spiritual way. If anyone would come after, after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To follow Jesus is to lay down our lives, lay down what we want in exchange for what God wants. So, uh, yes, Jesus was killed, uh, was crucified. He laid down his life on a Roman cross. Hope that helps you. All right. If you're wonders about our denomination and who authors your material. So, the first time viewer maybe has uh, seen this religious TV program and wonders what denomination we are and who authors the courses that we offer to our viewers. Uh, good question. Uh, if you uh, watch every week, you know that we mention that we are sponsored by the Churches of Christ, and we talk about a couple of them each week, which we'll do in just a moment. Uh, we consider ourselves non-denominational. Uh, we don't think that we denominate ourselves. We just call ourselves by a Bible name, that we're the Church of Christ. Uh, that's the sign we put up front of our buildings, and that's what you'd Google if you wanted to look for a Church of Christ in your area. Uh, so that's the, the name that we go by. We, we want to be non-denominational. We just want to study the Bible, and that's one reason we don't talk about it a whole lot on this program. This is not a Church of Christ program. This is a Bible program. We want you to know your Bible. All right, our viewer also asked who writes the material that we have. Uh, all the courses are written by different people. Uh, they are all associated with the Churches of Christ and uh, good Bible scholars and folks that have taken time to write some good Bible study help. So that's where our material comes from. Let me talk about two of the churches that uh, support our program in a different area from our Springfield broadcast. Uh, in Springfield, the, our partner there is the Watermill Church of Christ. Uh, drop in there sometime and hear Bill McFarland preach a great bunch of folks and do a wonderful work over there helping us with the program. And just a little bit east of Springfield, if you know where Mansfield, Missouri is, there's a congregation of the Church of Christ there that uh, 
supports and studies the Bible a lot like we do on this program. So if you live around that area, drop in and visit the Mansfield Church of Christ. Or maybe you know a member at Mansfield that you know who goes to the Church of Christ. Tell them, hey, I saw you on uh, Know Your Bible the other day, and I appreciate that program. So add your thanks to ours. All right, Toby, what's yeah. your question? We have a question about the people, how long they lived in the Old Testament. And that's why did people live so long in the Old Testament? And the answer to that is because it was a different world. Uh, God created, of course, perfectly, different environment, perfect genetics. Uh, the world hadn't been broken by sin. And then when sin entered the world, uh, we see the world change. And certainly the biggest change to that was the worldwide flood. Uh, I certainly believe that the world was very different uh, pre-flood than it is post-flood. And we see that in the Bible. After the flood, the lifespan of human beings being, begins to drop considerably. I think the uh, atmosphere and the environment was changed. Um, and you, you see uh, pre-flood, people like Noah and Methuselah living 950 years for Noah and Methuselah living 969 years and living hundreds of years <clears throat> after the flood. Uh, you see the lifespans drop uh, quite a bit. And uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, in fact, says, <clears throat> this is pre-flood, but God kind of makes this uh, statement. He says, uh, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Now, there's some debate whether he was saying the flood would be in 120 years or if human beings would be limited to 120 years. I tend to think that just because of human beings don't tend to live past 120, it's very rare uh, to see anybody live uh, past that age. So I think our limit is set to 120, uh, and that's the largest reason is because God said so. So I uh, hope that helps you, and the Genesis 3 is where you'll find that reference. All righty, take that call while I answer this question. Can a preacher be an apostle? And uh, I know that happens sometimes. There's uh, signs outside the church building I see sometimes where the minister is advertised as apostle so-and-so. Uh, yes, a minister can call themselves an apostle. And in one sense, uh, apostle just means a messenger. Uh, the basic small a apostle just means messenger. So if you're thinking of it in that terms, maybe okay. Uh, but I think it's a little confusing and probably not a good practice because the Bible speaks of the apostles, capital A apostles, if you want. And it says that Jesus picked 12 men to be his apostles, his special messengers. And that's usually how we think of the word apostle. Uh, the qualifications to be an apostle uh, we do have. So if somebody really wants to call themselves a real apostle, they're going to have a hard time meeting these qualifications. Let's read them. This is when uh, in Acts one twenty one, when they picked Matthias, uh, Peter said, we got to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So if you were there when John the baptizer started baptizing, uh, if you were there when Jesus ascended into heaven, and if you witnessed his resurrection, then you qualify to be an apostle. Doesn't mean you get picked, but you meet the qualifications. So a little tough to qualify today. So no, a preacher today can't be a real 
apostle uh, of, of Jesus. He can be a messenger, and maybe that would be a better title to pick for yourself as messenger. <laughs> All right, we're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to try to uh, answer our trivia question here. Lot's uncle. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Genesis 11:32. Good story there about their separation and all of that. So, uh, that Abraham had a nephew named Lot. We're glad you've been with us today and hope that you can be back next week for more of your questions. We'll be here answering as many as we can. And until then, we just hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.